This morning's reading is entitled Picnic Lightning by Billy Collins. It is possible to be struck by a meteor or a single engine plane while reading in a chair at home. Pedestrians are flattened by safes falling from rooftops, mostly within the panels of the comics, but still, we know it is possible. As well as the flash of summer lightning, the thermos toppling over, spilling out on the grass. And we know the message can be delivered from within. The heart, no valentine, decides to quit after lunch. The power shut off like a switch, or a tiny dark ship is unmoored into the flow of the body's rivers. The brain a monastery, defenseless on the shore. This is what I think about when I shovel compost into a wheelbarrow, and when I fill the long flower boxes then press into rows the limp roots of red impatience, the instant hand of death always ready to burst forth from the sleeve of his voluminous cloak. Then the soil is full of marvels, bits of leaf like flakes off a fresco, red-brown pine needles, a beetle quick to burrow back under the loam. Then the wheelbarrow is a wilder blue, the clouds a brighter white, and all I hear is the rasp of the steel edge against a round stone, the small plants singing with lifted faces, and the click of the sundial as one hour sweeps into the next. I invite you to join in singing our, the first verse of our hymn, Life Calls Us On, which is on the purple sheet. And I invite you to remain seated as we sing just the first verse. Just this past Monday, my sister and I drove together out to our child at home to say goodbye to Liam, the family dog that we got when I was a junior in high school. At almost 15 years old, a very, very old, large dog, and in my completely unbiased opinion, the goodest of good dogs. Liam was frail and disoriented, and having more and more bad days, and my mom had finally made the call that it was time to euthanize him. And as we drove out, my sister remarked that pets are like small ticking heartbreak bombs. 
counting down the time we have until we have to say goodbye, that we give ourselves over to the love we have for them, we form bonds and share space and invite them into our families, knowing that we are so likely to outlive them and that one day we will have to live without them. And I thought to myself later, aren't we all really countdowns to heartbreak? Every child we love, every parent, every friend, every lover, every person we let into our lives is another debt that we take out in love because ultimately the cost of love is paid in grief. On the first day of my family counseling class in seminary, the professor matter-of-factly started off the semester by declaring that every relationship we will bless as ministers, every marriage, every new baby, every pet blessing, every relationship, every life will someday end. At this point, I had already had several semesters worth of seminary debt and figured it was too late to turn back. <laughs> My therapist, though, says that this is not true, that we have a relationship with the dead, that I am still discovering what my relationship to my dad is and will be, that this is still evolving almost two years after his death. And I agree with them both, that every relationship, every life ends, our own life will end, but love and memory do live on, that our relationships to those we love continue to evolve even after they're gone. So I've understandably been thinking a lot about death this week, the why of it, sitting with the utter mystery of it, wondering how to make meaning of it all, holding fewer questions these days about life after death, and wondering more what to make of life before death. In 2015, when author and historian Kate Bowler was 35 years old, she was unexpectedly diagnosed with stage four cancer. She's the host of an amazing podcast that I have found so much comfort in, and she's the author of a book titled Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. I love her because I find her to be so real, and she talks about living with, not dying from, this incurable cancer, about the messiness and beauty of life, about what happens when our lives hit some of their hardest moments, and the wisdom and heartbreak and beauty and tragedy that can come from those times. She says, cancer has also ushered in new ways of being alive. Everything feels as if it's, as if it's painted in bright colors. In my vulnerability, I am seeing the world without the Instagrammed filter of breezy certainties or perfectible moments. I have had to face the fact that my life is built with paper walls, and so is everyone else's. I can't reconcile the contradiction, except that I am beginning to believe that these opposites do not cancel each other out. Life is so beautiful. Life is so hard. Life is so beautiful, and life is so hard. What if we truly lived as though these opposites do not cancel each other out? What if we really felt the poignancy, the depth, the pain, and the beauty of these two dual realities?
Feminist folk icon Ani DeFranco has a line in one of her songs that goes, I was blessed with a birth and a death, and I just want some say in between. And I wonder, what does it mean to be blessed with a death? With our own death, I mean. Because this line sticks in my brain, I was blessed with a birth and a death. Because even with the hardest deaths I've experienced in my own life, the loss of my friend Katie in a car accident when I was 20, my dad's death by suicide almost two years ago, even with the almost unbearable heartbreak of these deaths and the fear that grips me when my mind wanders in the middle of the night, the fear of losing people I love, the painful reality that death will come for others I love too someday, Even with all of this, I still would not choose for us humans to live forever. Because I think that the fact of death forces us, painfully and beautifully, to search, to live in search of meanings, meaning and morals. And this is not because of some fear of punishment of an afterlife, but because I believe that as human beings, we long for our brief existence to have meaning and joy and love and connection, and that the fact of our death is what actually forces us to structure our lives in search of meaning and intention and connection. The ache and the beauty of living in the face and in spite of and because of the fact of our death, our own and others, and of impermanence and change in general calls us to more attention, more presence, more alignment, to work to be the people we say we want to be, to have how we spend our time reflect what we value, to savor the sweetness and the heartbreak of impermanence, knowing that we don't have all the time in the world, and that can help us to choose more intentionally how to use this gift, this chance of this one life we have. And here's the rub. When we fully open ourselves to the ache, to the heartbreak, to the loss, the joy can be so much sweeter. Yesterday, as I took a needed break from writing this sermon, I had been contemplating, of course, death all afternoon. I took a break to play with the two-year-old that I live with. And as he climbed over me, on me over and over and over, I was reaching my limits of just how many times I wanted to play Trot Trot to Boston. (laughs) And I found my mind wandering to the passing of time, to growing up and aging and death and impermanence, and I tainted the bittersweetness, the simultaneous grief and also, frankly, the relief in remembering that he won't be two forever and that one day he won't climb into my lap and demand that I give him my full attention. That the impermanence of this is what allows me to savor its sweetness right now, to give my attention over to what I love, to the relationships and the commitments and the values that call me into life and into love. Because, dear friends, in the face of death, love calls to us to keep loving. Joy calls to us to keep living our purpose. And life calls us on to a life before death, 
a life of meaning, of connection, of beauty, of heartbreak, and most of all, of love. I invite us to stay seated and sing together the second verse of our hymn. So on Monday afternoon of this past week, um, this time of year, the, the afternoon light is amazing. But Monday was like, I think it was like still drizzly. And, and so was my mood. <laughs> the funk of the afternoon. And Heather, you said, um, life blesses us with birth and death. But in between, what happens often is that your mom FaceTimes you. Does that happen to you? Like, you get FaceTimed when you really shouldn't be FaceTimed. Because I hadn't slept well the night before, and I hadn't shaved, and I looked especially rough. But she FaceTimes me. And in the background of her living room, my childhood living room, there are two guests. And where are they? Would they stand, please, Roger and Sally Demler? Okay, you can sit. All right, so that, they feature importantly in this, in this little homilette, as we call it. What, what were they doing in my living room? I'll explain in a minute. But my mom says I have to go out with her to the garage. Okay, she says, and she spends like 10 minutes trying to figure out how to reverse the camera. Um, <laughs> she finally figures it out. She's panning around the dusty brick garage that was truly a detached garage. It was truly my, my dad's man cave. And she says to me, what do you want to use? And she pans around, there's, there's the broom, there's the ladder, there's the hose. Do you want any of that? I got that. There's, there's the shovel, there's the bag of, uh, of mulch that was still folded over that, that he used probably last June. His hands are the last thing to touch the fold of the bag of the mulch before he died in, in August. There's the trowel, 
this feels off, I tell her. But it's just sitting here. I mean, your dad is just sitting here, she says. He wants to be of use. And I want us to notice that she didn't say this stuff wants to be of use. She said he wants to be of use. We just we just sang on the sheet. Our loved ones, you know, they they leave us with deeds. It says and words. They also leave us a lot of tools. <laughs> maybe we ought to maybe we ought to change the hymn. <laughs> Look at these, she says, to the drill bits. A lot of people here are like, wow, look at that. <laughs> my, my dad used these to put holes in walls that were too big for whatever was meant to go inside of them. <laughs> and she says, the drill. You want these, she says. You want to use these? Okay, I say. And then she's, she's panning around and she says, what about, what about the jacket? It's super warm, she says, and it's tough looking. <laughs> There's even cigarette butts in the pocket. Holy moly, look at that. I just found these. You want this? Okay, I say. And then she keeps painting around. She says, and then she, she passes by the corner very quickly. And I say, what, what about that? What's that? It's the, it's the slider thing that goes under cars. To... I don't work on cars. <laughs> but now I'm going to work on cars. It's called the Streamline Creeper.
Oh, she says, look at that. It's a level. And then she says, this was my dad's, who I never met. This picture's down there. He died at, I think he was 50. He made this. I'll have that. Oh, don't forget the helmet. She puts the camera up close. Why the helmet? It doesn't fit me. The whole reason the Demlers are there is to pick up and bring back with them the Ferrari <laughs> red Vespa. that my dad wanted me to have all along. It's now in their garage waiting for a new carburetor. Now at another time, everyone, at another place, from the outside, like you are all looking at me, you might think this is kind of like, this looks like an estate sale. You know the kind that happens when Saturday mornings and there's like a thousand cars up on the street and people are picking up like crystal ashtrays and fake oak credenzas and bunt cake pans and they block the road and we're like what a pain but the, the, these things these things are the are things that somebody loved. And they want to be used. Because we know this. We know that the drill and the jacket and the balance, the, the level, the Vespa, the slider, It's like our loved one, and you all, all of you have things that your people who you love have left you, and it's like the things are telling us, live between this blessing of, of life and death, live. Build stuff, stay warm, stay balanced. Creep low under things when you need to. <laughs> Go fast. Keep on living and live and live and live and live and live and breathe and live. 
Back inside, I go, hi, Sally. <laughs> hi, Roger, I say. This is weird having church members in my living room. <laughs> oh, I almost forgot, my mom says. Upstairs. She takes me to my bedroom. Oh, the guitar. The 1960s Gibson that my dad bought after the Vietnam War that he was drafted into briefly, and that he got and he bought. I'm bad at guitar, though, I say to my mom, and she says, I know. And I say, wait, wait. <laughs> but your dad would want you to have it, and he would want you to learn how to use it. You know, you could ask that guy at church. <laughs> the guy, you know, with the mustache. Al, I say? Yeah, Al. Al will show you how to play. Nineteen sixty-eight Gibson. Friends, life calls us on in all kinds of ways. These items that I have, I know, are mirrored by items that you have. I want us to go home this afternoon in this liminal light of this November morning and day and ask yourself, what is calling me forward and who is calling me on? Because we all have someone and we all have a lot of stuff. Let us sing the rest of our hymn, beginning in Loyal Guides in Love and Duty. And we can rise in body or spirit. <laughs>